Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I know it's the end of the year and you're going to be hearing everything you're ever going to want to know about resolutions and change, but this is a podcast today that is going to change the way you look at change. The Trans-Theoretical or Stages of Change Model, six steps to a lasting change and where we get caught up and how we get past that, coming up and more on The Virtual Couch. Okay, before we get started today, I believe I am going to present to you my very favorite email of all time with regard to BetterHelp.com. And it reads, Tony, I get it. You have a book. (laughs) Sorry, that makes me laugh right out of the gate. But what's with not airing the BetterHelp.com info before your podcasts? I feel feel like I'm talking talking to text. I wanted to tell you that there was a question mark after that. But anyway, back to the email. I found BetterHelp.com thanks to your ads before your podcast. Thanks to BetterHelp.com, I was able to find someone that could help me understand and deal better with my ADHD. I would love it if you would continue to air the BetterHelp.com ads before your podcast because that is the way that you are going to continue to help more people. I know the book is going to be good and I plan on getting it when it's in electronic format. Don't get me wrong. I really want to hear you and your co-authors take on pornography, addiction, and betrayal trauma, but I don't want that necessarily laying around on my coffee table. Do you see why I love this email? So, I can't wait to get the book, and I promise you I will write a wonderful review when I do. But for now, can you make sure and put the BetterHelp.com ad before your podcast because it has literally changed my life. I was going to do it again. I was going to say period. Before I heard your ad, I had never been to a therapist. And quite frankly, I was going to go to my grave without ever going to therapy. But thanks to BetterHelp.com, I really was able to quickly find someone that I have fit with who can help me with my ADHD. Thank you for all of the work that you do. And please let other people know that BetterHelp.com can literally change their life. And P.S. It's pretty affordable. Okay. Thank you for that email. Now you can understand why I really wanted to read that one. And uh, in particular, he talks about ADHD, and that's something that we're talking about on today's podcast. Um, I guess I just made this ad a non-evergreen. So if you hear this one and the next, the episode is not about ADHD, please know that I just got a little bit lazy and put this one before because I really like the content of this email, but you'll enjoy the, the, the episode, whatever is coming up next. But go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before. Sign up now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtualcouch, V-I-R-T-U-A-L-C-O-U-C-H, and get the help that you need or that you didn't even know that you needed today. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network. As you heard in this email, you can find somebody that knows that speaks fluent ADHD or people that work with OCD, anxiety, depression, you name it. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log on to your account at any time and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. And you can schedule weekly video phone sessions. You won't have to sit in an, you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and oftentimes you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Which I will tell you that can be difficult. There are times where I may not be able to get somebody in for a few weeks. So in under 24 hours is, is incredible. Um, and if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, you'll receive 10% off your first month's services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself at the very least to just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now and go do it. I'm not going anywhere, but I think you are going to enjoy today's episode. So once again, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Try it today. 
Thank you for tuning in episode 173 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind you once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram, um, as well as the Virtual Couch page on Facebook, or Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page there as well. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor of a, a late Christmas gift, um, an early Happy New Year's gift. I guess we don't really give those. But uh, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. That would be wonderful. And one more quick item of business. Um, Salt Lake City. I'm going to be speaking there at the Outlier Podcast Festival on Saturday, January 25th. And I'm really, I'm excited about this opportunity. I'm speaking on a subject that I am far too familiar with, the dreaded imposter syndrome. So I will be speaking to a lot of people that are either already creating podcasts, maybe have the desire to create a podcast, or who might just be podcast fans. But speaking to this concept of how do you avoid this imposter syndrome, and a lot of it does have to do with the principles of acceptance and commitment therapy, of really identifying your, your true values, kind of the things that you, you do and the things that you are about, and how if you kind of got to stay really dialed in and authentic there, and if you do that, you're going to feel a lot less of that imposter syndrome, but also talking about how normal it is to feel that as well. And I'm also looking at, oh, and again, that's at outlierpodfest.com, and I'll throw that in the show notes. And I'm also looking at possibly trying to speak at a fireside. If you're in the Salt Lake area, you'll kind of recognize that that uh, vernacular, but a fireside on Sunday the 26th. But those plans kind of seem to be a little bit up in the air. So if you happen to be, I don't know, a bishop or state president or leafside president, somebody that might... Um, have an opportunity to bring somebody on to do a little bit of teaching. Uh, I might be able to do a second hour lesson on on a topic that uh, of your interest, or again an evening fireside as well. So if you if that sounds of interest to you, um, your ward, your stake, uh, just shoot me an email at contact at tonyoverbay.com. I would absolutely love to squeeze the most out of every minute that I am there in Salt Lake. Okay, so today's topic is definitely heading a little toward it's the end of the year, people making resolutions, and I've done a couple of resolution-related podcasts in the last couple of years, and uh, and I think I'm going to re-air the one from last year, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy with New Year's resolutions, but record a, a new intro with some additional thoughts and air that next week, but I did a podcast last week that I think I said this on the podcast, but I really, I literally woke up Wednesday morning, last Wednesday morning. And I just, I, I don't think I've ever really felt the call to go into my office and, and skip the gym and just come and record something. But I'm really glad I did. It was on the book, A Liberated Mind by Dr. Stephen Hayes, who's one of the founder, he's founder of acceptance and commitment therapy. And the book really lays out these six principles of act. And it really shows why it can truly be difficult to just decide to be happy in the morning and, uh, and, you know, and so anyway, please listen to that episode. I'm 100% not saying that one shouldn't think positive or create a positive mindset. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of all of that. 
but the data somewhat overwhelmingly shows that simply telling yourself to be happy or just to think happy thoughts uh, not only doesn't always work, but it can actually cause you to have an overall kind of negative effect because then people often feel worse when they wake up in the morning and they say, all right, I'm on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think nothing but positive, happy thoughts. And then just stuff happens. I always kind of give the exam. I don't know. You, you get a speeding ticket or the dog maybe uh, throws up on the new white carpet or that sort of thing. And all of a sudden you're mad and you get angry. And then you think, okay, I can't even stay happy for one day, you know, one hour. And so in reality, as those things happen, you have the thoughts that you're going to have. And that doesn't make you a bad person or necessarily even an unhappy person. But it's more about what you do with those thoughts. It's about changing the relationship with those thoughts. And uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, that podcast I did last week, lays out, I, I feel like, pretty well that process of changing the relationship with your thoughts. But anyway, go listen to that one. Because today, though, we are talking about change, which is one of the things I love, especially as a therapist. Um, we, I feel like, for the most part, almost all of us would love to change different things in our life, different things about our relationships, different things about our jobs or about our health or about our um, our marriage or as we the way we act as a parent or about our relationship in our faith or any of those things. But we get stuck on how. How do we make those changes? And acceptance and commitment therapy is a huge piece to that. But here's one that I've wanted to do for a long time, and I really don't know why I never did a podcast episode on this. So if you really Google, and you can do this, it's kind of interesting. If you Google theories of change or steps of change, you'll find you know the four basic steps of change or the six steps of change or the eight steps of change or the five steps of change. But I remember in grad school, I learned about one in particular. It doesn't have a real um, catchy name. It's the trans-theoretical or uh, stages of change model. And so I'm going to talk about that today. And I think it'll, it'll help. It'll make sense. It'll bring some awareness to the whole process of change, kind of normalize and, and just help you move forward with change that, uh, that might be important to you and which is a big thing around New Year's, right? So the six stages of behavior change. I'm going to be quoting a wonderful article, as I often like to do. Um, it's called the Trans Theoretical or Stages of Change Model, and it's by Kendra Cherry, and it's reviewed by Amy Morin, who she's, uh, I think she's done some additional work. I think I've quoted her on another podcast or two. With the, she, I think she's even written a book or two, and uh, but she's a great therapist as well. And this one was updated at the end of November 2019 from VeryWellMind.com. And I just want to throw a little bit of a kind of a something up front here is I just threw some notes in here as I was reading this article. And, um, you know, you really need a spouse or a parent or you need to be the parent or you need to be the spouse who supports change. And one of, I think, the biggest problems with people who are trying to change is the fact that if they throw their idea of change out there to people that they that they want to count on or people that are important to them, people that they have somewhat of an attachment with, if that person says, well, why would you want to do that? Or you don't want to do that. Or that's ridiculous. I've tried that and it doesn't work. I, I want you to just kind of be aware of what message that sends. And so I really, the, the best way to try to motivate for change is to be someone that has people in your life who are going to say, hey, tell me more about that. That sounds like an interesting goal. Where's that come from? And if you want change, if you desire change, and you don't have those people in your life, then I just want to, to kind of help you understand right now before we talk about this, that, that that'll make things a little more difficult. So if this, if we get through this article today, and if you've listened to that acceptance and commitment therapy 
um, podcast from last week where you've really kind of tried to dial in your own values, the things that are really things that you want to be or things that you want to do, and you know that those come from your core. Again, in acceptance and commitment therapy, we call them your own private experiences. You're the only person who really knows what your experiences is like. You're the only person who has gone through all that you've gone through, your nature, your nurture, your birth order, your DNA, you know, your abandonment, your rejection. So all of those things come into play on why you want the change that you want. So if you feel, again, at your core, in your bones, that this is something you want to explore, some sort of change, if people are coming back at you and saying, no, you don't want to do that, or I wouldn't want to do that, then I, I want to really help you get to this place where that's you know probably some of the reason why it's been hard to make change in the past. So you know people can have their thoughts and their opinions and just kind of say noted. All right, hey, thanks. But uh, and it's even okay to go to somebody that you care about and say, hey, I really, I really want, I really want you to to kind of be on board with this, or at least I would love for your to have your support so that I can figure this out because this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Whatever that change is. So all right, let's get to this article. So um, Kendra Cherry says that anybody who has ever made and broken a New Year's resolution can appreciate the difficulty of behavior change. Making a lasting change in behavior is rarely a simple process, and it usually involves a substantial commitment of time, effort, and emotion. So whether you want to lose weight or stop smoking or accomplish any other goal, there really isn't, and, and I love how she points this out, there's not one single solution that works for everybody. And most likely we've all tried several different techniques, and we've gone through trial and error to achieve our goals, and we hear oftentimes that you need to, you know, they keep it simple, stupid, the, the KISS rule for goals. We've heard about being very specific with goals. There's even some data a little while ago that said, hey, go for the home run and change everything. And you're more likely to, to find that uh, you're going to have success. And I think the bottom line that, again, I love working these ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT principles in, is the reason why some things work for some people and some things uh, work for others and, and things don't work for everybody is, again, because of all of your own stuff, your own bags. <laughs> baggage sounds so dramatic, right? But all your own baggage that you bring to a scenario. So, and it's because of this, as she points out uh, in this article, it's during this period that many people become discouraged and give up on their behavior change goals because they are trying to either change things that maybe aren't as important to them, or they're trying to change them in ways that other people have suggested would work. So, the, the key to maintaining your goals is to try new techniques and to find ways to stay motivated. And I love that concept of, you know, staying motivated means that recognizing that there, we, we're going to ultimately or most likely um, slip up on the goals. And in today's article, they even use the word relapse, which I know can sound pretty dramatic because that's a pretty big one in the addiction world. But, uh, but hang with me here and, and it'll make a lot of sense. So she talks about to succeed, the elements of change, you understand that they're, that they're really Three most important elements in changing behavior. One is the readiness to change. She says, do you have the resources and knowledge to make a lasting change successfully? And so if you think of, uh, you know, if you're going to make some ginormous change of, um, I don't know, if you're going to, you know, if your, your goal is, uh, let's say, a bad allergies, I'm making this one up on the fly, and you are going to make this change where you're going to live in an environment where there are no allergens. Um, do you have the resources? You know, do you have the resources to do that financially? Do you have the knowledge to know where could you live that you would have less of the allergens that affect you um, and uh, cause you to break out or, or that sort of thing? So um, barriers to change is the second thing. So the first one's readiness to change. Do you have the resources and knowledge to make lasting change successfully? Number two, the barriers to change. Is there anything preventing you from changing? And uh, I don't know why we're going to go with this if I want to avoid um, these allergens. I don't think I've ever said the word allergens four or five times in the same five-minute period in my life. 
But uh, if if you go with that one, barriers to change. Is there anything preventing you from changing? You know, do you have all the a lot of family in your area? Um, do you have a financial obligation to a former spouse that is in the area? So are there barriers to change? You can maybe see where we're going. If you don't have the resources or the knowledge, and uh, legally you can't leave, you can already see that you're probably setting yourself up for a lack of success, um, if that was your goal, to get out of the area, to avoid your allergies, that sort of thing. But the third element of change is expect relapse. And I think that one's pretty important. It says, what might trigger a return to former behavior? So expecting, uh, expecting relapse just means that you're looking at those triggers. So, you know, if your goal is to never sneeze again, I guess that would be a pretty, pretty bad one. Then uh, a trigger is going to be being around the things that cause you to sneeze. So let's jump into this stages of change model. So she says one of the best known approaches to change is known as the stages of change or trans theoretical model, which was introduced in the late 1970s by researchers James Prochaska and uh, Carlo Di Clemente, who are studying ways to help people quit smoking. And the stages of change model has been found to be an effective aid in understanding how people go through a change in behavior. In this model, change occurs gradually and relapses are an inevitable part of the process of making a lifelong change. And I think that's just so important to know. We all want to think that we can quit behaviors cold turkey. And I want, I want to tell you, I work with some people that do. And for some, that is incredibly empowering. For some, the, the change cold turkey, um, changing cold turkey happens when there has been a significant event. I mean, I've had people literally get arrested before, and then that, that has prompted them to make a very serious change. Or people that are in risk of losing a job or losing a family. And that those times are when you can see these very dramatic and you know cold turkey versions of change. But for a lot of people, part of the process of change is this concept of relapse. And so um, it, it, knowing that that's an inevitable part of the process of making a lifelong change often can help. Because often when people do relapse, and let's say that they're going to just eat better. Uh, let's say that they're going to avoid, you know, I have people often say that they're not going to ever eat sugar again. Or they're not going to eat um packaged foods again. And so then just knowing that that is a wonderful goal and there are people that can nail that and never never turn back to sugar or packaged foods again. But uh, sometimes people are going to be in a spot where they do. They, they relapse. And the key is not then beating yourself up and saying, man, I blew it. See, I can never do this. And what's wrong with me? You can see how that's going to drive one toward um, just kind of saying, all right, I give up on changing that part of my behavior, that part of my diet, that part of my life. So this, um, people that are, who are unwilling or resistant to change during the early stages, uh, they eventually will develop a proactive and committed approach to, to changing a behavior if they recognize that some of these things like a relapse is, is an inevitable part of making a lifelong change. So this model demonstrates that change is, is rarely easy and often requires a gradual progression of small steps toward a larger goal. So here are the stages. Stage one is called pre-contemplation. And I, and I just, I love this concept. The, the characteristics of pre-contemplation are our old friend denial. And I'm going to resist any joke about rivers in Egypt or that sort of thing, although I guess kind of it just happened. But so pre-contemplation, denial or an ignorance of the problem. So pre-contemplation. I mean, there are things that if you're being honest with yourself, and I think the food thing is a big one for me, of where in the back of my mind, I know that as I just turned 50, that uh, I know the metabolism's probably slowing down a little bit. The nose hair's growing a little faster, as is the ear hair. Um, maybe I've gotten a little bit larger size of uh, of uh, pants. I mean, I think that they must just all be shrinking. I you know all those jokes as well, but uh, probably need to dial in the diet a little bit. So 
I'm also in denial of that because I, I can do the thing where I think, all right, I'm 50. You know, I exercise still regularly. Um, and so the characteristics, that denial is like, I'm fine. It'll, it'll get better. I, I will suddenly stop advancing in my waistline. Um, but that's denial. Or the second characteristic of pre-contemplation is ignorance of the problem. You know, if I really, I mean, it really is kind of a trip. I am embracing the heck out of 50. I honestly never expected to feel as good as I do at the age of 50. One played basketball with my son last night. Um, he's killing me, which uh, I'm fine with as well. But it's just, I love it. I love the way that I feel at 50, but I'm also 50 and uh, seeing little lines and wrinkles and all these sort of things. And again, expanding waistline and things that I've never had to deal with. So I can't be ignorant of this problem. So, but stage one, pre-contemplation. The strategies during pre-contemplation in this stage one pre-contemplation is rethinking your behavior. And, and here's the key, an introspection and a self-analysis, assessing the risks of the current behavior. So um, she points out that if you are in this stage of pre-contemplation, you may feel resigned to your current state or you believe that you have no control over your behavior. So I, I will admit, man, I didn't realize I was going to be doing my own uh, personal individual therapy on this podcast today. But I think that there's a part of me that almost feels like kind of resigned to my current state where, you know, I mean, I am exercising. I still enjoy food. I still eat as if I was uh, doing ultra marathons every other weekend, which I'm not. And so I kind of just feel like this is my current state or that, I, you know, there are many of us that just feel like we have no control over our behavior. And, uh, and we'll kind of get to that one in a little bit. So uh, pre-contemplation, stage one. That moves on to stage two, contemplation. So the characteristics of contemplation are ambivalence and these conflicted emotions. So let's kind of talk about those a little bit. Um, first, ambivalence. Okay, let's see how smooth an edit that was. I may or may not have just hit pause and, and went and looked up a nice definition of amb <clears throat> excuse me, ambivalence. And uh, what I found was, so uh, ambivalence, um, to the state of having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something or someone. So the contemplation, this ambivalence, having mixed feelings. And I can definitely identify if we're looking at diet uh, or, or eating better, that change. There, I have these mixed feelings of, but I haven't had to worry about this in the first 50 years of my life. Or or maybe I should have worried about it. I mean, no, no shooting on myself. I mean, I think that's a fair should to do. But I just, I haven't. So I've got this ambivalence where it's like, I don't know, maybe I could have done something about it. Maybe not. Maybe I need to. Maybe I don't. Or these conflicted emotions. Because I think there's one part of me that feels, all right, let's get real now. Let's get vulnerable. There are times where I have eaten as clean as can be and I feel amazing. But uh, it's a little bit of work. And, and sometimes I think, ah, I really like food and I really enjoy the way it tastes. And so I have these conflicted emotions of, yeah, I, I would, if I knew I could throw an extra 10, 15 years onto the end of my life, right now, I mean, I, I, I just absolutely love my, my wife and my, my family, my kids. I, I mean, I'm going to be a grandparent someday, no announcements yet. But at that point, I really want to just live as much of this life as I can. So I do have these conflicted emotions. What if I knew that eating incredibly well and clean um, would allow me to just live this, continue to live a very uh, healthy life, which I'm pretty darn sure it would. You know, again, these conflicted emotions because we're just coming off of Christmas and I had Kit Kats and mini Reese's like nobody's business to the point where I felt I just felt horrible after eating them all, which is not the, the feeling that I would like to have. So strategies of contemplation, weighing pros and cons of behavior change. So pros and cons. Cons, maybe not as many little Reese's and little Kit Kats. Pros, could live a whole lot longer. Um, could go back to some of the pants that I really enjoyed that were a smaller waist size. And being able to just get up and down with grandkids and still playing with my, you know, my 
uh, ginormous, um, you know, uh, almost 16-year-old son playing basketball. So pros and cons, or confirm the readiness and ability to change. And then uh, another strategy in, in this stage two of contemplation is identifying barriers to change. And uh, she points out that I think what's really important, many people never make it past the contemplation phase. And that's one of the things I enjoy about this um, trans-theoretical model of change or these stages of change is you've got the pre-contemplation and you've got the contemplation. And I feel like a lot of us stop in contemplation mode where we have this ambivalence where it's like, I don't know, I'm not sure, these conflicted emotions. Well, I really like this. You know, I really like Reese's, but I would really love to still be able to get up and down the basketball court at 60. I mean, I wasn't sure if I would be able to at 50. So um, those, you know, a lot of people stop in that stage two. Stage three is called preparation. So the characteristics are experimenting with small changes and then collecting information about the change. I absolutely love this. This is a you don't have to hit a home run or you don't have to hit it out of the ballpark um, to make the change. So experimenting with small changes. Strategies, writing down your goals, preparing a plan of action, or making a list of motivating statements. And um, I know that uh, there were a couple of articles that I was reading that, that gave more in the, in the way of what this can look like. And I, I think that experimenting with small changes can literally be, and I've talked about this on a few of the podcasts I've done, even on the concept of addiction, where you know, if you remove an addiction, let's even call it food, if I want to say that that's my, my, my addiction. If I remove the junk food, I do leave this giant void. So you know, it's kind of difficult to just go at that and say, all right, here's this void. I'm going to want to turn toward wonderful chocolate food whenever I am kind of bored or stressed or sad, you know, if I'm doing some emotional therapeutic eating. So when I, re- just, when I just get rid of it altogether, there does leave this big void. So experimenting with small changes could be literally um, you know, getting uh, either portion control, which I've had some really good success in at times where I will, will take up um, take uh, a portion of chocolatey goodness in a in a small Ziploc baggie, and then that's all that I can have, which um, that seems to work at times. And uh, also experimenting with small changes as far as I love the concept of replacing or adding, adding good food. And so today I brought, if I'm looking to my right, I brought a second banana and an apple in today and a little bag of almonds. So, you know, putting good food out there, I still have in my little mini fridge, little mini Reese's and mini Kit Kats. I mean, I feel like those are kind of fitting with the whole mini theme. But I have those here, but I also tried to bring more fruit. And so the the plan is to to fill myself with more fruit. So experimenting with some small changes. Um, And then collecting information about that change. I think that one of the things that, I mean, you can literally do this down to the, go to your doctor and and have a blood draw and uh, do a a nice workup before and then um, periodically throughout uh, dietary change or even with exercise, noticing a lowering of cholesterol, um, a lowering of your blood pressure or your your, uh, sitting heart rate. But so preparation, stage three, experimenting with small changes and collecting information about that change and strategies. Again, write down some goals, prepare a plan of action and make a list of motivating statements. So I want you to know, I know I'm very aware that the writing down goals and making a list of motivating statements are strategies that are somewhat um, in, uh, in conflict with the podcast that I did last week. But this is the part where I want to be very clear. There is nothing wrong with having a list of motivating statements. I have those myself. Or writing down goals is never a bad thing. But what I love about the acceptance and commitment therapy model is what I mentioned in the podcast last week was, and I think I want to bring this one up here real quick. Let me pull this up on uh, um, the part of the book where Stephen Hayes talked about this. 
But when he talked about values, and I absolutely love this. Let me read this again. This is from the book, A Liberated Mind. So he talks about values require pivoting from socially compliant goals to choosing values. It redirects the yearning for self-direction and purpose. So here's the paragraph that I cannot even express how many times I've quoted this in the last couple of weeks in therapy. He said that people often attempt to achieve goals because they feel that they have to. Otherwise, people we care about or whose views we care about would be displeased or they will be disappointed in themselves. Research shows that such socially compliant goals, and I love that term, such socially compliant goals give rise to motivation that is weak and ineffective. So if we are setting a socially compliant goal of having to, um, I don't know, get rid of... uh, all chocolate. If, you know, if, if if that's something that someone else has told us, no, you should really get rid of all chocolate. I mean, have you read about chocolate? You know, have you seen the things about chocolate? If that is not at your core a goal that you have, if that is more of a socially compliant goal, then that gives rise to motivation that is weak and ineffective. It says we may, uh, Dr. Hayes says, we may try to drive our own behavior with such external goals, but we also secretly resent them because they undermine our own process of unfolding. The yearning for self-direction and purpose cannot fully be met by goal achievement since that is always either in the future, meaning I haven't met my goal yet, or in the past, meaning, hey, I already met my goal. So this is the key. It says values are chosen qualities of being and doing, such as being a caring parent, being a dependable friend, being socially aware, or being loyal, being honest, being courageous. Living in accordance with our values is never finished. It's a lifelong journey, and it provides a way to create enduring sources of motivation based on meaning. Ultimately, what your uh, what your values are is up to you. They're a matter between you and the person in the mirror. So uh, there's, I, I absolutely love this concept of values being these chosen qualities of being and doing. So even if I want to say that I want to be a more active parent, then that's living more of a value-based lifestyle. Being a more active parent is a way for me to then say, okay, it's a, it, it would probably be more beneficial for me to eat smaller portion sizes or to eat less or to eat, or eat, those are the same thing, but eat healthier or look at the banana and eat the banana and uh, instead of the Kit Kat or eat the two bananas and then allow myself one small Kit Kat because I'm living by this value of being a more active parent instead of just setting the goal of not having any chocolate this week. You know, that might be a socially compliant goal, but it, it underlies my own sense of unfolding. That's what I absolutely love about combining act with this trans theoretical or stages of change model. So number four, stage four is the action phase. The characteristics, taking direct action toward a goal. The strategies, they talk about rewarding your successes or see- seeking out social support. And uh, and, uh, Kendra Cherry says, take the time to periodically review your motivations, resources, and progress in order to refresh your commitment and belief in your abilities. And I think that the one of the keys here is that seeking out social support. And and a lot of it depends on, again, your own private experiences. I'm a big words of affirmation guy, a big attaboy guy. So I, I can't lie. I love when I let my wife in on some sort of goal that I am making. And I love when she will follow up. And I love when she will say, well done, you know, or I, I, I love the way you're going after this goal. And so, but that taking direct action toward the goal. And remember, if we look at that, uh, that stage three, the preparation, we're experimenting with small changes. So then we're taking action characteristics. And that leads to stage five of this trans-theoretical or stages of change model, which is called maintenance. And it's not quite the, well, I guess that maybe is the, the, the word, the way that we would typically use the word. But maintenance means maintaining this new behavior. And I love how she puts in here for the characteristics. The second part of the characteristics are avoiding temptation. And so, boy, can we go deep here into the work that I love to do with um, even addiction work, where avoiding temptation. So if you look at the 
the, the habit cycle, the habit model that, uh, that I have in my Pathback Recovery Program. Or if you're really looking at any sort of change, uh, I like the layout that you've got a trigger. You've got, uh, so, I mean, followed by the trigger, you've got a thought, and then following the thought is an action. So you got the trigger, the thought, and the action. So avoiding temptation. If a trigger for you is, a lot of times people do, after, after a meal, the, they want chocolate. So if they are in a position where uh, the trigger is finishing dinner, then there's the thought where they want to eat chocolate. Then typically there comes the, the action, the behavior, trigger, thought, action. So you want to be able to put distance in between the thought and the action. So after there's that thought, you know, at that point, can you reach out to someone and talk to them? Can you, you know, make a new plan where after dinner you get up and you go on a walk? I mean, you can create these new processes or these new patterns that will put that distance between thought and action. Or what this is talking about in the stage five or maintenance mode is avoiding the temptation. There are triggers you can control. So in that scenario, you could, quite frankly, remove chocolate from the house. I remember being with a client long ago, and I, I, I remember this just being such a, a funny phrase to me, because we, we have a candy drawer. We've had a candy closet. We've had a, I mean, I basically feel like we have a candy room of sorts at my house. And I remember him saying, oh, if we want a treat as a family, we go to the store and we buy a box of whatever, movie theater, candy, or, or that sort of thing. And I just remember almost uh, stopping in my tracks thinking, wait, you don't have like a whole candy drawer? You don't have just candy at your fingertips? I mean, you, you don't just have immediate access to candy? And I just thought that was such a, an amazing concept. So avoiding temptation. So doing whatever you can to just either address the trigger up front, or if there's that trigger and then you have a thought, um, then putting distance between thought and action. And I could do a whole part of uh, on mindfulness at this point because, you know, typically the behavior change will come first. So the behavior, getting up and leaving the room, phoning a friend, um, those, t- those type of things. And what you want to get to is eventually where you can notice that thought. Uh, so there's the trigger, here's the thought, and then just not reacting to that thought, noticing the thought, making room for the thought, all of those nice, wonderful mindfulness principles. And, uh, and then the strategies is in stage five, in this maintenance stage, is developing coping strategies for temptation. So again, that would be what, what are the things that you can do, even if it's going into a mindfulness zen state or mode or turning to your breathing or, again, phoning a friend, dropping down and doing push-ups, going on a walk. And then uh, they talked about remembering to reward yourself. And so that can take on uh, any kind of different view. A lot of times I think when people hear that reward yourself, they think, wait, then you just give yourself the chocolate? And it's like, well, no, the rewarding yourself can be um, a lot of different things. It really, so for some people, it might be, uh, I don't know, purchasing something that they have uh, been saving up for or something they wanted or, or rewarding yourself can be spending quality time with a loved one, or it can be um, spending time reading a book, or it can be whatever that would be, but trying to change that pattern so that it, the reward isn't always with the chocolate or the candy, that sort of thing. And then the last stage they do talk about in the trans-theoretical or stages of change model is stage six, which is relapse. And the characteristics that typically follow with relapse are disappointment, frustration, and feelings of failure. And those are the things that we need to bring awareness to. Those are the things that we need to then throw our acceptance and commitment therapy principles around. And if there is relapse, if I have made it two weeks and I've eaten as clean as a whistle and I'm feeling amazing, but then all of a sudden, and, and this happens all of a sudden, there's double-stuffed Oreos in the pantry that are Christmas, um, just talking hypothetically, right? And they've got the red filling in them, and all of a sudden, you're like, I'm just going to eat one or two, and then before you know it, you've eaten about six or seven, and you stop yourself. 
there's disappointment, there's frustration, there's feelings of failure. So in the acceptance and commitment therapy model that I love, you know, that doesn't make me a horrible person. Uh, you know, that, that's something, it's, it's just, it's data. It's what happened. I can, it's noted. Um, but I'm not going to fuse or hook to the story of, see, you blew it. You can never do this. You'll never make it. I'm not going to allow myself to kind of get hooked to that thought or to those stories that my brain's trying to tell me. Because what my brain's trying to do is kind of connect me to the sea. You'll never do it. Go ahead and pound this whole bag of Oreos. Um, it's trying to get me down, uh, kind of going down that path. So as soon as you recognize relapse, um, then, okay, note it. I'll make room for these feelings of disappointment or I'll make room for these feelings of frustration. But uh, it's going to stop there. I'm not going to go down that shame path and beat myself up and tell myself I'm a horrible person because that's that's again, path of least resistance that allows me to then completely scrap my entire plan of change. And what we're trying to do with this, this trans theoretical model of change, um, along with some nice acceptance and commitment therapy skills is saying, Hey, I've picked something that's important to me because it's one of my values. It's something that I want to be or or something that I want to do. And, uh, and I'm going to do it because it's important to me because of these private experiences that I've had in my life that have brought me to this moment. And even if people are telling me this isn't something that I want to do, I'm going to say, Hey, thanks for your thoughts and opinion noted, but I'm going to keep moving forward. And then I'm going to go through these, uh, these, these stages. I've already kind of probably hit the stage one, the pre-contemplation. Um, you know, I was in a little bit of denial, maybe a little bit of ignorance of the problem. Moved on to stage two, contemplation. Had a little bit of ambivalence, not quite sure if this is what I want to do, some conflicted emotions. But then I went into stage three, preparation. I started making some uh, small changes, experimenting with small changes and collecting information about the change, which then that led to stage four, action. Now we're taking direct action toward this goal, this new value-based goal, and we're starting to seek out some social support, maybe rewarding our successes. And then we move into stage five, which is the maintenance phase. This is where we're maintaining this new behavior, and we're doing all that we can to note and avoid temptation. And we're developing coping strategies for temptation and remembering to reward ourselves with probably some new healthier ways of reward. And then that might be the place that we, um, you know, and I, I skipped this part in stage five where Kendra Cherry said, during the stage, people become more assured that they will be able to continue their change. So they're going to start putting some, some pavement underneath them, some miles behind them with this new, uh, these new characteristics, these new behaviors. So, and for some, they may ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. But for, for most, there's going to be a time where we're going to hit stage six, this relapse, and the characteristics. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to be frustrated. There's going to be feelings of failure. And you know what? Nothing wrong with those thoughts or feelings. They aren't automatic negative thoughts. or Those are just thoughts we're having because we're human, and we've had all the experiences that have brought us up to that moment. We probably had moments where we have, have relapsed in the past and then just thrown everything out the window and said, I see, I can't do it. So... We, we have these feelings of disappointment and frustration, again, because we're human. If we didn't have those, that's where I would almost say, wait a minute. You know, and I like to throw in the kind of humorous line that if you didn't have those thoughts and emotions, then you're a robot or a psychopath. And I know you're not. So the, the key there is then identifying those triggers that led to relapse, recognizing what those barriers are to success, and then reaffirming your goals and your commitment to change. She says that while relapses can be difficult, the best solution is to start again with the preparation, action, or maintenance stages of behavior change. So don't jump all the way back to pre-contemplation and go, ah, denial. This didn't even really matter. I didn't really care about this. This wasn't something I wanted anyway. And, and, but I think that if there is relapse, that's also a time to kind of look and see, was this something that was, was this change something that was in line with, with my values? Or, or was this a socially compliant goal? Was I only trying to do this change because this is what I think I'm supposed to do? Or because this is what somebody else told me that I should do? And uh, I think at that moment, 
that's where you can kind of dial back in and look at all right, what are the values behind the change that you're you're trying to make. And then please again go listen to this uh, acceptance and commitment therapy podcast I did last week on Stephen Hayes's A Liberated Mind, and you're going to get these new tools that allow you just to recognize these thoughts that go through your mind, especially thoughts of failure. That they're just thoughts. There's a whole bunch of thoughts that go through my mind at any given moment and and during any given minute and throughout the day. So why am I going to choose to, to to hook to those particular thoughts that tell me that I'm I'm kind of not uh, you know that I'm worthless or that I'm unlovable or that um, there's no hope? Those are not productive thoughts. I will note them. I'll make room for them, but those aren't thoughts that are going to get me very far. So um, I am now realizing I am going on and on, but I'm passionate about this. So uh, I want I want 2020 to be truly a year where you're going to just recognize that. You're okay. You have the thoughts and feelings and emotions because you're human and because you're the only human that has all the experiences that you have and that you bring to the table and you're going to be okay. And with that, it's perfectly all right to start thinking about things that you would like to change, things that you can move from that pre-contemplation stage to, uh, to a little bit of contemplation. And then start setting the table for preparation. And then as you do that, there might be people in your life that are going to tell you that, no, nah, you really don't want to do that. And, uh, and just being able to recognize the thought and emotion that comes along with that. It's like, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing your opinion. Noted. But if I feel it's important to me, then I'm going to continue to move forward with this change. Um, I hope you can see how this stuff all starts to come together. I say that often in my practice and especially with people in my family where – Imagine this world where you do figure out that I'm okay. I'm, I'm The thoughts and feelings and emotions I have are okay because, again, I'm the only person that has all of my unique situations. And that you find yourself in a relationship where the, the person that you are in a relationship with is saying, tell me more. Like, that's your, that's your person. That's your partner. And their goal is not to knock down your truth, and your goal is not to knock down their truth. I mean, how wonderful is that? And because that's the way you're going to be able to really explore change and become the person that you, you've kind of always wanted to be. And if your partner's doing that, you're doing that, you're having these shared experiences and you're both kind of in this, tell me more, what's that like? Here's what, here's what I feel about that. Okay. That, you know, it's so just empowering and it's so edifying. And, and all of those phrases that I used to think were a little cheesy before I became a therapist that it really is the one and one is, is three, not two. And, and then you throw these EFT principles in, these emotionally focused therapy principles in. Go, go listen to episode 129. I don't remember many of the numbers of episodes that I've done, but that one is by uh, Sue Johnson and this concept of secured attachment and why we are these attachment-based creatures and there is nothing more beautiful than this kind of dyadic union, this, this dance that, with a partner that is there for you, that has your back, that you can count on, that really loves you. Anyway, I'm, now I'm going really up the beaten path. Hey, how about that change? Go get them. It's a trans theoretical model or stages of change model. Um, I am grateful for your time, uh, for, uh, for the uh, trust that you put in me on this podcast. And uh, just know that uh, I, I see people do these things all the time, this change, um, this, uh, this kind of finally going after their own values, not the values that somebody else is projecting onto them, but values that are important to them. And that is a key to then living this life where you just feel more authentic, more dialed in, and then learning how to change that relationship with your thoughts, which just leads to you just feeling better about life in general. Things are still going to come up, bumps in the road, but you're going to be able to process them a lot more, especially when you're operating from more of this value-based life. All right, I will stop before I go into another tangent. Um, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to this episode. Please forward it, send it to those who uh, might be able to gain something from it, and I'll see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the 
other end The pressures of the daily grind 